Vlad here, the host of Burgundy Radio. Shortly after we recorded our episode on January 16th, I tested positive for COVID-19. As a result, the contents of that episode may seem somewhat dated, but we hope you enjoy it all the same. I am optimistic that I will be fully recovered in short order. I encourage all of you to be safe out there. And if you have not been vaccinated, I urge you to get vaccinated as soon as possible. We at Burgundy Radio appreciate your support and listenership, and we look forward to bringing you more regularly scheduled content. So please enjoy this episode of Burgundy Radio, Working Overtime. This episode of Burgundy Radio is brought to you by your high school class reunion. You'll always have the memories, but life inevitably moves on. to give the Kraken a 2-1 lead. Alexia, there you have pieces. Score! It was deflected by Colin Blackwell, who pops it past the glove hand of Francois. And all of a sudden, the Kraken have a 3-1 lead. Rakowski sweeping and shoots. What a kick save. Rebound, score! Grubauer made the first save, but he could not make the second save. Nicholas Albe Kubel with his second goal of the Knights. Back to Kale. A shimmy move and his shot. Off the post. Devon Taves cleans up on the near side. McCarr got it through. It rang off the iron. And Taves able to put it home for his seventh goal of the season. Well, you can turn your skate into it. That's going to be a yeah, good see, goal, Pete. It good. absolutely is. It's knocked ahead for Jost. He'll give it up for Kadri. Abs trying to get numbers. Kadri is in with a shot. He scores! Nazem Kadri top shelf. Rips it past Grubauer in transition. The Abs make the cracking pay. Three to go. Two to go. One all the way down. And that will do it. The Avalanche. From a two-goal deficit and beat the Seattle Kraken by a final score of 4-3. Colorado getting to Nashville very late last night after coming from behind to beat the Seattle Kraken. 
Avalanche, talented, tailor-made for overtime. 205 to play in the overtime. A blast by Yossi Block. Rebound, score! Yes, sir! That's insane! Wins it! For the long reshot, save rebound, score! Miko Rantanen, able to pot home the rebound as the Moose pivoted, got it to the forehand and puts it past Prosvetov. The Abs have the early 1-0 lead. Moe, there's so many things to enjoy about this goal. McDermott's going to pick up his first point. Joseph's going to get his goal, his 100th point in the National Hockey League. Nobody works harder. Second unit is on the ice. Clayton Keller poke checks away from Taves. Keller into the ab zone. Shoots and scores. It's a shorthanded goal given up by the Avalanche just the third time this season. Only the second shorthanded goal scored by the Coyotes. And he's doing a good job of it right now. Back to the near side. Gustus Bear fires it to the point. Kessel off the bench. It's steered on a stick. Far side. Score! A ripper of a shot, short side by Johan Larson, has now tied this game at two. Kessel gives it off, one-timer, score! Shane Gostis-Bear from the top of the circle with a one-timer, short side. And the Coyotes have taken an immediate 3-2 lead late here in, excuse me, early in period number three. Working his way in, Burakovsky with a wrist shot, and he scores! Andre Burakovsky! Found a tiny sliver of daylight, gets the wrister off far side, and immediately gets that goal back. Can the Abs eat the puck for the final five seconds? They cannot. Kessel darting with it, gives it back, sent in front, a bouncing puck. Oh, at the horn, a save by Francois, and we are going to overtime. Twirling Taves, McKinnon shoots, save, rebound, poked away, and that's going to do it for overtime. My goodness, we're going to a shootout. Here we go, nobody has scored yet. But on his way to Vegas, on his way. Get him to Vegas, way baby. To Vegas, Get him to Vegas, baby. Scores! Nazem Kadri wins it in a shootout. Phil Kessel and the group, they want payback tonight, Tyson Nash. This should be a lot of fun from Glendale. Oh, it certainly will, and I'll tell you what, if the Coyotes can duplicate, replicate, whatever you want to call it here tonight, that effort last night. And now McKinnon walking it to the front, and they score! Nathan McKinnon. All sorts of room, and he's made it one nothing. Anthony gets it over the line, here's a chance, McKinnon, and a stop, it's right on the doorstep, and they score! Vamelka got most of it, but it gets by him and poked home, and it's 2-0 Colorado. Turnover, and they score, and it's Nazem Kadri, and it's 3-0. Coach Jared Bednar getting his top two lines out there every opportunity. Lad out high, Keller, poked away, Rantanen's got it, he'll come back in a two-on-one. Miko Rantanen, right to the net, he shoots, he scores! That is absolutely gross. Shane Gostisbehere, and he lost it. McKinnon the other way. McKinnon shoots, he scores. Oh, he dusted it a couple of times. It's 5 0 Nathan McKinnon. Out by Schmaltz. And this will roll all the way back. And so Darcy Kemper and his return to Gila River Arena posts a shutout.
Not much doubt in this one, Tyson. 5-0 Avalanche win it. And after 22 years, Raymond Mark! Greetings one and all, near and far, reaching your ears wherever you are. Welcome to Burgundy Radio. I am Vlad, your host of Burgundy Radio. Joining our starting lineup is Earl 06. Earl, how goes it? It's wonderful, Vlad. And also a part of our starting lineup is Tiger Vixen. Jackie, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. Hello, hello. When we last graced your digital airwaves, the Avs had just booked a direct flight to Brazil for the Winnipeg Jets and were gearing up for the rematch against the Toronto Maple Leafs. Folks listening in podcast land may recall, or wish they didn't, that the Avs were curb stomped by a score of 8-3 at Scotiabank Arena on December 1st. Things were certainly heading in that direction in this game, as the Leafs jumped out to a 3-0 lead and chased Darcy Kemper in the process before Nathan McKinnon finally got the Avs on the board late in the first. The Leafs would restore their three-goal cushion on the power play, but keep in mind that the Achilles heel of the Toronto Maple Leafs is a 4-1 lead. Enter goals from Kale McCarr, Gabe Landeskog, and JT Comfort to tie the game and send it to overtime, where Devon Taves would beat Jack Campbell five-hole to give the Avs the win and set a new franchise record, not Avalanche record, mind you, a franchise record for consecutive wins on home ice at 11 games. Uh, yeah, thoughts on the come from behind? Um, I need to remember it first. <laughs> <laughs> There's been a lot of come from behinds. Um, I guess the, that one was what? I think fourth? it was their fourth at that point. It set the yeah. franchise record for wins on home ice consecutively. Okay, so yeah, this was the one where it started to look like the game in Toronto, which was definitely an embarrassing moment that they needed to kind of make up for. So um, yeah, and then Matthews scored twice again. In 30 seconds. <laughs> so yeah, it it was definitely heading in more of a disappointing direction again. So. But they slowly dug their way out of this one. Obviously, McKinnon and McCarr scoring led the way. And yeah, this was the overtime that Taze scored. And that was a really nice goal, too. And Oh, and then Comfer, after they had so many good chances in the third period, and then Comfer gets that. In real time, it almost looked kind of like lucky. It didn't really seem like a a big chance, like something like we're like, oh, this could be it. But then when you look back on the highlight and you saw that crazy pass that Miko made. Yeah. <laughs> didn't look so lucky after that. So good thing Comfer had his like monthly big moment and actually tied the game there. So um, that's basically my takeaways from this. It brought up the question like, is it better to be able to dig out of a hole or is it worse to have a hole to begin with? For me, I'm a little bit more the former. I think it's more important that you can turn a bad situation around. So for me, I appreciate that they were able to do this against a good team and the qual- type of quality team they're going to see in the playoffs. We spoke about this a lot last year. They just had such an easy time with all the teams in that fake division that they didn't have just sort of the what they needed to put together a comeback when games actually became rough in the playoffs. And I, I know they didn't construct this like, hey, let's just go down a few goals and see what happens. <laughs> you know, hopefully we can come back. And if not, I guess we don't deserve to 
be in the playoffs anyway, but you know, it's good practice. You know, it's nice to know that they handle it. You know, even being down three goals, 15 minutes into a game, they're like, okay. Um, and, and you know, that, and that was the turning point of this game when, when Kemper got pulled and, and JB was pretty clear that this was a, a message to the bench kind of pull, but you know, that you don't always see that work very well. And Luckily, this did. I mean, McKinnon decides to start scoring right then, which was nice. You know, I I, I think that wake up call actually worked, and it, it just it's weird because it it, it seems like such a, a trite thing to do that you're like, oh, you know, pulling the goalie. I mean, how is that going to change guys from playing like crap and, and Toronto just dominating? But it did. Yeah, you know, I didn't it feel made like it, it was against- a, a back and forth game, and then. Sort of late in the second through the third, they they really dominated. It seemed like Toronto kind of ran out of gas. And you saw on Twitter a lot of people making excuses like, oh, God, I mean, how do you expect them to play a whole 60 minutes at altitude? <laughs> They're only men. <laughs> when actually it's been proven that altitude sneaks up on you like several days later. Yeah, altitude's bad for recovery. It's not all that bad for exercising. I mean, I, you know, I understand like the worst thing you could do is come to altitude two days before a game um, and practice there, which, which teams used to do. And I I don't think many do anymore by choice anyway, but the, you know, the thinking like a lot of bike races that are held at altitude, like you'll see the racers actually stay down 2000 feet or lower wherever they live and then come up to Colorado levels for races. You know, it's just, it, it doesn't affect you right away that much. It just affects you when you're, recovering and, and spending you know probably your first week there i'd say if toronto was a little out of condition it, it's just because they haven't played a lot and i know that our game wasn't like their first in a week or something but they but it might have been just only their second like they just haven't played a lot because of all their postponed games and right. we can make the same case for the abs too since they were just getting into their group too yeah. yeah exactly it's just so funny to hear the altitude excuse come back up yeah. It's like it, it's been the same height for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing new here. Didn't just play in veil. But yeah, with the goalie pull, I had forgotten that. And you're right. I I didn't think it was Kemper's fault either. Like <laughs> some of those were just Austin Matthews uncovered. Like what? <laughs> yeah. But I was happy for Frank. I mean, I'm a Franco's fan, and I think he has the capability to be the starter for this team. Now, that's not necessarily against Kemper. They might need both. So to see Frank get in a groove, and he only gave up the one goal, which was on the penalty kill. And that was his first win in, in however long it's been since he was healthy, a long time ago. So it's nice to get that under his belt. And I, I know we kind of question whether it's better to put in, you know, like Ananin for his first game, whether it was better to make him start or, or have him come in. And I don't know. It just seems that once again, this works because he was, you know, he was, I think he was pretty much slated from day one to start the next game anyway. So maybe this helped a little bit with, you know, getting a win under his belt in a sort of dramatic fashion before he started against Seattle. I know Bednar talked about him, that he was at the rink early that day and skated, and that made him kind of think he was ready, even though he was he was at the rink and skating more because he wasn't going to start. I don't know. It was interesting that Bednar chose to mention that specifically, that he felt Frank would be more ready just because he'd been working on things that day or something like that. And it showed he stopped uh, 18 of 19 shots and... Came through when overtime when on the you know the two chances that Toronto had give the Avs a chance for the win which they got from Taves. 
that's true. Toronto did have a couple good chances in overtime, so Frank should get credit. Monday evening, the Avs rolled out the welcome mat for the NHL's newest member club, the Seattle Kraken. The Avs' first meeting with Seattle was pretty smooth sailing back in November, but there was a little more emotion at Ball Arena, marking the return of both Philip Grubauer and Jonas Donskoy to Denver for the first time since their respective departures. The fans saluted both and gave them a warm standing ovation shortly after Nicholas Obekubel gave the Avs a 1-0 lead. The Kraken then rattled off three straight goals to put the Avs in yet another hole, but the rally caps make another appearance. With Obekubel getting his second of the night, Devon Taves scoring the tying goal, and Nazem Kadri getting the game winner. Another come from behind win, if you think about it. I very much was, yeah. You know, Abe Cabell started the scoring, but then they let in three in a row, and you're like, oh, <laughs> not again. <laughs> they can't keep tempting fate, but, you know, once again, it worked out. You know, th- this was this was the big Obey Cabell game, scored twice in it. He, he was definitely hot in this little two-game set this week. Kind of cooled off a little bit later in the week, but, you know, it's nice to see that, you know, you, you have a depth scorer like that who's, you know, he, he's been gradually getting better and better with the team. And, you know, they, they needed him to be good that night, and he was. Yeah, and I believe this was the game where he really set the tone with his forecheck, which, yeah, we you know, Bednar loves that. And it does make a difference, especially since I feel like Seattle does try to play a little bit more of a heavier physical game not necessarily like how you would think of old school winnipeg and anaheim but it's it gets into that where if a team's not very skilled that's something that they try to bring into their identity and i think seattle plays well defensively and so the abs needed to do something to kind of break through that because they also like to pack slot and in the middle of the ice so the abs were getting a ton of shots blocked weren't getting through to the net so yeah, you Seattle plays a very Columbus-y of. type game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, maybe that's a good um, comparison. It's a lot like more like Columbus, not so much like a big bruising team. But so, yeah, the one where Obey Cabell drove the net, that was a really nice goal. And then, and then the forecheck, which sort of got the whole rest of the team into it, and they were able to come back that way. And so, like, the Toronto game was important to come back in because it was on Hockey Night in Canada and they couldn't get embarrassed like that again. But this was also one where it was like, you you have to take care of business. You had some, quote-unquote, easy teams coming up. You have to win those, especially at home, too. And if I remember correctly, this was an, this was an ESPN Plus exclusive game as well. So it was semi-national. national. Uh, looks like it was just the uh, the home markets that had them. Yeah, I mean, I can't remember how the broadcast at all back then. Okay. And also, Kadri's goal, win the game. Oh, yeah. That was nice. He's just the right place at the right time <laughs> this yeah. year. It's, it's pretty crazy. Vote for Nas. That's true. <laughs> I think he will, as an aside, I think he will get in. I remember he was fairly high in the fan vote to begin with for the like Central Division, the one that McKinnon won. So I think people will do the right thing and get him in. For sure. We can't talk about this game without acknowledging the return of Philip Grubauer and Jonas Donskoy back for their first game and the emotional component that carries on both sides of the benches. And I, in full disclosure, I haven't watched Seattle play a ton this season, but Seattle really had that motivational piece to win it for him in his return to Colorado. I think it was fairly straightforward to their identity. It, they don't feel like a team that is 
doing so poorly in the standings, but like I said, it, it is that, that skill deficit and probable scoring. But to Grubauer specifically, I thought he played pretty well. Like he had a lot of stops and Yuma just felt like Grubauer's really into this one. And, and maybe the team also wants to pick up their goalie and, and maybe have a little bit extra motivation. That could have been part of it too, but it's just like the abs finally broke through. Like they had just enough time left in the game that their skill in town finally broke through. So it was tough to see, you know, Gruby let in five again or whatever it was, but it was nice. I, I guess apparently there was a video and then the crowd had a Gru chant and then he heard that. So that was really nice. I liked also what he wrote on Instagram about thank you to the fans and stuff like that. So that was because you don't always get that. Yeah, and I'll fill in the gaps on that because I'm pretty sure that happened during a television timeout when that video package rolled. Uh, it was a combined package for both Grubauer and for Donskoy together. And when the fans, you know, showed their appreciation, uh, Grubauer actually did a, a mini lap around the Seattle uh, zone and waved to the fans and acknowledged them with a stick and everything. And they gave them the Grub chant and everything. So... It really kind of felt more that it was for him and Donsko is kind of like over at the bench. Like, well, what about me? I was here too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I actually focused in on Donnie when I could. You know, he honestly doesn't look a lot different than he did with the Avs. And the skill deficit that, that you've been talking about, Jackie, it seems to be why he hasn't scored a goal yet for Seattle. Because he was close. I mean, he almost, he had a really good grade A chance at one point. It just, you know. <clears throat> just didn't drop. I, I think of the two, I think probably Donnie's Donnie was the more homesick. <laughs> well, sure, it was. He wasn't his choice; it was Grubauer's choice. <laughs> yeah, you know, and it's it's got to be tough for him, just sort of looking at his situation now, and 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 looking at the Avs and what they're doing, and just being like, oh, why couldn't have been Conker? So you took too much money, bro. <laughs> Two million a year, you'd probably still be in Colorado. It was nice to see the new team and all this and that. I wasn't at the game, but it'll be interesting when I do see them in person one of these years. There was a pretty solid uh, Seattle Kraken fan base that was present there. And, and you mentioned you mentioned Grubauer's Instagram post, and in one of those shots, the way that it's framed, you can see that there's a lot of fans in one of those pictures with the sign holding up for, for him and everything. And I was going through the concourses. I actually watched, uh, the, I was running late, so there was no pregame, but I watched warm-up on the Seattle side. And you could see a lot of the uh, the home kit for Seattle, a few uh, hoodies and whatever. And there it was pretty well represented for their first time out. I was really, it was nice to see. I would be really curious to see just, how all those people came to be you know were they traveling fans were they seattle or upper northwest transplants were they denverites who decided they would like to support the new team it's just that that is an interesting goal let's say they aren't really fans of seattle but it's just how, how does that happen in like that when you've been in existence for three months and then you're not having the particularly great season so i wish there was survey about just just how does this happen where do these people come from tell us about your fan conversion <laughs> <laughs> yeah because i remember when florida and san jose and tampa came into the league 
the NHL hadn't expanded in a very long time. They had taken in the, the WHA teams back in 1979, but it, it, it had really been, you know, almost 20 years since real expansion. Um, and so everyone was like really juiced about, you know, Sharks jerseys just because, you know, it was different. And then, you know, the, the Ducks jerseys later on, um, you know, people just liked wearing those jerseys because they were new. They were different. And yeah, you get that with Seattle now, but it, you know, I, I do think it's a little more organic. I, I think it's a little easier to track fans just when you're the single team coming into the league. Yeah, I could see that. And it doesn't mean that it's mutually exclusive, that people are fans of multiple teams. You can be an Avs fan. You can also like the new team and you say, hey, why not wear this new jersey I bought and go to the game and you can kind of cheer for both. So yeah, yeah there's definitely some of that too. Foreshadowing. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. There are people that have multiple favorites. More on that to come soon. The Avs would follow up this latest performance with a chorus in Nashville against the Predators the next night. This one struck a pretty sour chord. Nashville would start the night jumping out to a 2-0 lead in the first, but the Avs would come back to tie the game at two off goals by Nicholas Obekubel and Andre Burakovsky. The Avs continued to chase the rest of the game, Nashville went up 3-2. McKinnon would score to tie. Old friend Matt Duchesne put Nashville back in the lead on the power play. Kale McCarr responded to tie the game at 4. Both teams would head to overtime tied at 4, but the Avs would wind up being called for a bench minor for too many men on the ice, despite seemingly having the correct amount of skaters, while Nashville appeared to have a few extra bodies out there. Duchesne wound up getting the game winner, and the Avs were left with a point but also with a lot of unanswered questions as to why the bench miner was called in the first place. A very controversial finish. Yeah. Just a um, little bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd mentioned on another show that I wasn't thrilled that this is the back-to-back you scheduled is a home away game with travel and you're going what amounts as an important game, an important division game. Like you have to back-to-backs and the one coming up next week in California is a perfectly acceptable one. But yeah, because there's no real travel just, there. Yeah. But I hate, if you're going to tack on a game, like, don't tack on division games. Because I don't think that's fair to the competition. Yeah. But And this isn't anyway. even what we discussed, sort of like hitting St. Louis on the way home from Tampa type of game. I mean, this is like, hey, you know what, <laughs> let's just make the Avs go to Nashville in the middle of the week for no reason at all. Right, exactly. And travel there. It's just absurd. But yeah. um, this was the game I chose to take in. I always wanted to see a game in Nashville. And when I planned this game at the beginning of the year, you know, Nashville wasn't very good last year. And I knew it was on a back-to-back. It turned out to be a lot more important of a game. And, you know, Nashville was really trumpeting the fact that they were first in the division not if you go by points percentage but sure whatever so (laughs) this game was sort of for quote-unquote first place however you wanted to define it so it was was a fun one to be at it was fun when they kind of full and interesting it was back and forth again this was one where the abs had to keep scoring to get into the game so like all the other comebacks were sort of like one team Just the momentum shifted once, I guess I should say. Like, once the Avs finally got it together, they kind of took the game over. This one was a lot more back and forth through the whole thing. Yeah. And 
the crowd was interesting. Let's just put it that way. It was it was a lot casual of a crowd than I expected. And the guys around me were like asking questions <laughs> about like what was going on. Like, do you see what color I'm wearing? <laughs> a lot of burgundy. <laughs> um now i counted just three guys that's right right they shouldn't have had a penalty (laughs) (laughs) well one guy was asking me why they started overtime at four and four and it was right when the abs were in the zone right when mccarr had the puck i'm like really not thank you (laughs) (laughs) anyway one of those guys asked me well how good's your power play and i was like i I don't know what was it like 12th or something he's like really that low dry cycles still on it i'm like oh god (laughs) (laughs) like not tonight (laughs) (laughs) and then then he says oh yeah you have mckinnon don't you know like yeah he said he's your best player i said i probably well they got a dose of mccarr because he had a really nice going it was almost as good as his overtime goal (laughs) and you could even hear it you could even hear the crowd kind of go oh Like, like, oh, what was that? It's like, yeah, that was Kill McCarr. So, um, like I said, it was an interesting game to be at. Uh, and I wasn't sure with the penalty call. Well, first of all, the too many men. The first one, I was like, what happened? I guess that one was legitimate. So, okay, whatever. And that's crazy that they had to kill a pen- terrible path, had to kill it at the very end of the game just to even get it to overtime. Like, that would have been so disappointing if Nashville just scored then and then we got nothing. So when it got to overtime, at least you felt like both these teams earned a point for all of this. But yeah, then to just lose it on a- another penalty in overtime. I mean, I knew that they weren't going to kill that one. It was just over. And it, and it was. <laughs> so it's not so, like I mean, I it, it was such a disturbing call because... I mean, obviously, everyone on the abs bench is looking around like, "What? Uh, there's three guys out there. What's the problem?" You just never call that in overtime. It and there's always that buffer. And there was fourteen predators on the ice at the same. It, you know, I mean, it's like, <laughs> so they didn't do anything wrong. I mean, you know, obviously, yeah, the abs played the puck, so that's where the call, if it actually happened, came from. But yeah, you're right. I mean, it's just you. You don't call that. You don't determine a game. I mean. You know, if this was something like Montreal versus Florida or something like that, yeah, who cares? But, you know, this is sort right, of a, a, division, a game. division rivalry game for first place. <laughs> right. And and you always allow for changes in overtime. You always see a guy that because the, there's all those transition rushes in overtime and you always see somebody change on the backside and off the bench and getting in front of the play and it happens all the time right and you have the long change in overtime which i don't really understand why they do that there's probably some thinking behind it you know I, i'm not sure if it's a you know if it does anything you know if, if it helps offense great but you know it just seems kind of random and then the fact that you have to like zap rooter it and come up with a reason why it's technically correct and i mean all that's just bs it it's a change in overtime and there is a lot of consideration left for that for players changing and okay if you've got four guys in the offensive zone then call because that's just egregious but on a change there's just no technicality to this where it makes it right it's just ridiculous yeah and you can't review it or anything else like that i mean it's not having a recourse for it. And I realized, like, I, I am the last person that wants to add more things that you can review. <laughs> but I would hope if there's some 
controversy about it that maybe you know that the Toronto officials might look at it and say like you know this is a completely game winning play and here we go i mean i don't know i mean even it's it's just and, rough and our uh, wonderful original host Steph pointed out that the ref jumping into the abs bench needed a, a visual that if the other refs looking up the ice, you see someone wearing white jumping on the bench. That could also have been part of the confusion. Yeah, but yeah, overall, I mean, it's just a terrible felt, way to lose a game. Right, and an important one. Overall, I felt okay with this. Like I saw an interesting game. The abs came back multiple times. Saw some nice goals. It was cool to see how big Phil scored again. And then Makar, I mean, guy's ridiculous. Did, like, we all know he's ridiculous. Nobody listening to this needs to be told that. But to see it happen live is just like an extra sprinkle of holy cow. <laughs> just put it that way. To see him take over a game the way he does is just like a whole, whole nother level. At least I got, got two a days for all of this. <laughs> yeah. I'm curious for you, Jackie, on this, because I'm going to bring my own experiences in my own travels here coming up in a little while. But the current snapshot of our reality with this pandemic and what what was it like out there in Nashville? Let's see. That's an interesting way to put it. I don't know that you would necessarily notice a whole lot different at an abs game. So for me to say that you couldn't really, there was a pandemic is maybe a, being a little unfair to them, but there were no rules. There was not a mask mandate in Nashville itself. The team had no rules. So that was kind of that. <laughs> Business as usual, carry on. <laughs> Two nights later, the Avs would begin the first part of what I personally consider the highlight of the regular season schedule, a home-and-home series with the Arizona Coyotes. Avs fans were probably looking at the dismal record of the Coyotes at this point in the season and were expecting a blowout. Instead, they got yet another rally that went to overtime, then to a shootout, with the Avs emerging with a 4-3 win. Mikko Rantanen and Tyson Jost would score early to put the Avs ahead, but a shorthanded goal by Clayton Keller would be the first of three consecutive Coyotes goals capped off by Shane Gostisbehar to give the lead to Arizona. That lead lasted all but 29 seconds as Andre Burakovsky would counter to tie the game at three. The only shooter to get through in the shootout was Nazem Kadri, and the rally caps get it done once again. We got a little bit more than we bargained for in game one here, uh, here on home ice with the Avs briefly, but still falling behind to the Coyotes and having to come back and win it. I always felt like both games just weren't going to be a blowout. Like the one game was going to be more difficult than the other. And I guess you probably would have guessed the second one and the one on the road. Yeah. When Arizona gets another crack at it, it might be a little more tight or whatever you want to call it. So it was a little bit of a surprise to see it reverse with the Avs having played so well at home and haven't seen Arizona at all this year yet. You'd think they would just stomp that one, but they definitely made it a little difficult on themselves in that one. Yeah, I mean, Arizona's first goal, you had Taves making two fairly egregious errors on one play on the power play, which you don't really see, although I, I think we're we're starting to suspect there might be something of an upper body nature wrong with him because he's just he's not handling the puck cleanly this week. We'll see if that continues. Um, but, you know, making the play at the blue line, turning it over and then getting getting on the wrong side of Keller. So he's got a fairly easy shot at the net. You know, that was rude. 
sort of felt like fell into a nap trap for a while. They got the two goals for Miko and then the one that Keller scored. But then Arizona was the only team that scored in the second period. And, and they dominated the period. that period. I mean, they, they were very good until maybe the last three minutes of the second period. I mean, they, they had that. And then, then the third period, Arizona scored. Gag took the lead. And it was pretty fortunate that Burkowski decided to show up. And, of course, scored another one of his beautiful goals. Where you're just like, how does that man score like that? Pulls it out of thin air. Because <laughs> he has not been good for a while. But we know his shot is amazing. So he just pulled that out of thin air and score the pretty goal you'll ever see. So, but they really needed that. So definitely props to him for finding some sort of moment. And then, then with it tied, you knew like the abs could take momentum back and they could probably find something. And then that it took all the way to a shootout. I mean, that's just a total coin flip. I mean, the last guy of the shootout. <laughs> Did it, didn't they have to kill a five on three and several penalties? Oh yeah, this was the one where McDermott got an extra. What was that? Sportsmanlike on a roughing. It was like a fight, but not really. So they didn't call it a fight. And at the exact same time, there was too many men, and it put Arizona on a five on three, and they actually killed that off. Right. That was during. That was in the the second, uh, the second period. period where. And then the third. Or that happened. And the Avs couldn't score on two power plays in the third period. You're just like, of course, Arizona's going to get one. And they did. And the Avs actually killed that one off, too. So they definitely could have gotten burned here. Yeah. I, I watched this game. It was a little tough because Frank actually looked more rusty in this game than he did in the Seattle game or in, in what he played in the Toronto game. Just because, you know, like Keller's goal was was like two errors by Taves. But that was, you know, that wasn't like a world-class shot. And then there was another one. I forget if it was the second or the third goal, but it was a trickler, but not like through him. It just sort of went by and then like, oh my God, it's in the net. That might have been the, what was it, the ghost goal? Yeah, the third um, goal. Yeah. But, you know, I thought overall Frank did a good job because then he shut the door. Like, this is sort of what Ananen does. Like, he could be really bad for, like, the first period. You're just like, oh, gee. But then he just shuts the door from that point on. And I, I feel like Frank has to get some credit because, like, goaltending is part of your penalty kill. And he could have been scored on in overtime. He could have been... He didn't even get scored on at all in the shootout. So to me, I thought it was a positive performance from Frank. Like you don't want to see a goalie let in three, but he could have lost this game easily. Yeah, yeah the funny I, thing, I've been delving into some of the goalie numbers, and Frank's high danger save percentage is fantastic. But he's been struggling with low danger shots, and that's kind of been something that we've noticed about him over his career with the Avs. It's just He'll let in that howler that shouldn't come in and then stop 10 pucks that, you know, very few goalies would. So I guess that's just kind of, you know, what you get with Frank. And it's different than what you get with Kemper, who's, who's kind of the opposite. He'll let in some high danger goals, but he's, you know, he's really good at, at shutting the door on medium and low danger chances. I think I remember from those after that Kemper's medium danger is kind of where he struggles. But yeah, you're right about their style's a little bit different. Kemper's definitely a little bit calmer goalie in a way. I wouldn't say that Frank is necessarily overly active, but he kind of. I mean, he's you know five inches shorter, so he's you know he's yeah, got to be a little bit. To, yeah, he's, 
he's to cover the same he's in the square <laughs> footage of the net he's got to move a little bit more and that you know that that can help that can also hurt yeah seeing it live i wasn't enamored with frank's performance and i was rather critical of him in my post game comments but i have to concede jackie your 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 point that he did shut the door after the gossip spare uh goal that put arizona ahead he was lights out the rest of the way he got a little bit of luck in the shootout because two of those uh uh shootout attempts from the from the coyote shooters uh he didn't have to do anything on they either went wide or over the net so he <laughs> yeah he didn't have a lot to do there so that set the stage for for Kadri to get in and do his thing I mean, that was a pretty amazing goal in itself I mean Prosvitov had everything covered and I mean that puck probably had a half inch on either side between the skate and the the post, but that's that's plenty. <laughs> the very next night in Glendale was more of the lopsided affair that many fans were likely expecting to happen on Friday. Nathan McKinnon and Mikko Rantanen served with two goals apiece. Nazem Kadri chipped in another, and Darcy Kemper made twenty saves in his homecoming game in the desert to defeat his former club by a score of five nothing. That's gonna be weird for both teams. Like you're. You know, you play a game like that, and you you're both heading to the airport. Like, too sweet, right afterwards. I just this could have been a in Denver or in Arizona set. I mean, come on, like Avs fans travel well to Arizona, as as we as we'll get to. But like, I went there last year. There were a ton of Avs fans there. They would have spent money and gone to both games. Like people like having a set of games to go to. Like I would have gone to two in Nashville. If that was the back-to-back there, it's just like, why are we overthinking this? And then you're making both teams get on a plane and go somewhere else and play each other again. It's just stupid. Just yeah, it's, it's almost like what you would make up, I mean, what, what you might lose in revenue you're making up by having to travel a ton. <laughs> right. And the toll that you're putting on your players, like the abs didn't get in until like 2 a.m. Like what, what is the purpose of that? Just, I mean, it's neither, Arizona. Did the, neither did the coyotes. Oh, <laughs> yeah. It's Arizona, for God's sakes. Like, you do not have large television revenue considerations here. Just play the same team. It's just stupid in one place. But, you know, I'll get that out of my system. (laughs) So how was it in the desert? How was the vibe and everything for this team that's obviously tanking, let's be honest? So what... What was sort of the atmosphere? I'll paint this picture as a tale of two cities, if you will. <laughs> so on Friday night, uh, of course, the the home crowd fully represented. I re- distinctly remember seeing one sign from a visiting Coyotes fan at Ball. It was her birthday, and she had set, had her sign out and saying, "I you know I came up for a birthday road game." to that effect and yes there were a sprinkling of other coyotes fans in attendance on friday night you flip it to 24 hours later and approaching the uh westgate complex and the gila river arena uh you could almost say it was a very similar sort of situation for uh the home team where there were a lot of fans rolling in rolling on up strolling to the complex but then you saw the burgundy and blue pretty much not just equal, but dwarf those numbers. Wow. And I told I told Earl this before we recorded that it really reminded me because all, the majority of those fans, just on my uh, observations around the arena, uh, were sitting 
on the avalanche attack uh, and twice area of the arena, which is also where my seats happen to be. And it reminded me a lot of the student section at DU where it's just jammed with <laughs> oh my student God. fans. It was a lot like that. And you got the uh, the random fans here and there trying to start chants. And they weren't being disrespectful or anything. They were just trying to get, you know, their fellow Avs fans going to start cheering for the team and chant and stuff. So that was my my big takeaway. And of course, with such a, an outcome as this, you're and it was likely and I think Earl, you mentioned this before that it was very noticeable on the broadcast when the Avs were scoring that the cheers were being heard. There were a couple of chants you mentioned that were made out on TV. They did men- yeah, they did mention on TV. It was near the end of the game, but that it was let's go Avs. And I mean, that's cool. I, I like that. It, I mean, obviously, it's too bad for Arizona and their fans, but. Like, they've made it clear what what they're doing and what this season's about. And it's also just such an easy, convenient trip from Denver to make that trip there. The the Coyotes fans' defense here, we never saw how they responded to a goal. (laughs) Right. So it might have dwarfed the Avs fans' (laughs) response, but we will never know. I can tell you in the past. But I like that. I can tell you in my past visits there, they're, they're good. They they get on their feet. They cheer. They do the howling thing that uh, after the you know public address announcer you know announces the goal uh, information and they play the stock coyote howling sound and people get into that. No such luck. And I will say, when I went <laughs> last year, it was in March. It was the actual back to back, and the Avs won the first game, and Arizona won the second. I. I think it was in a shootout. Yeah, JoJo was in that, and Arizona won in a shootout. I mean, so there was a decent number of Avs fans there, but it wasn't quite like what Vlad's describing where it was really overtaken. But obviously you could see a lot less people were traveling then and and so on, and they still had capacity limits. And But um, it is interesting to know that it it's taken over a little bit more, but I was going to say, I like that because the abs aren't known as travelers or, you know what I mean? Like they don't have this reputation. So if they could start doing that anywhere, even if it is a a place like Arizona, you know, it's, I think it's good to get that kind of reputation or at least show the team that there's a lot of effort, support, fanaticism, if you will, for the team. Yeah, I remember last year some of the players mentioning how well attended the Phoenix games were just because. And that's before they had fans. So it was, that was like the first time they saw Avs fans. Well, remember, I, I think that Arizona had, they they allowed something like 3,000 or 4,000 people where Denver still wasn't allowing people. Right. Yeah. It was like the first time they saw yeah. Avs fans. Um, so it was cool to be part of that. Like, I like that feeling or whatever. So. Just to show your support, like that's also one reason why I like going to away games is because just to see what it's like somewhere else. Like I love travel and food and and hockey, so when I put it all together, that's like dream come true for me. So just to see how it's different and the same and what fans are like. And and in my experience, there was Avs fans there, but it certainly was a Predators crowd, no doubt. It was kind of more typical that you see somewhere. Like you'll see past Avs fans in the concourse, you're like, hey! you know we're on the same side but i was fairly close to the ice i think i was i was in row g whatever that is seven or eight rows up and 
I realized when they were in the offensive zone, like everyone else was being quiet. So I could yell. Maybe they could hear me because they weren't going to be getting cheered. So hopefully I did my part. <laughs> and then one of the guys started doing it. He started screaming like, Miko. And I'm like, yes, here we go. <laughs> the, uh, the Coyotes put together a video package for Darcy Kemper during one of their uh, television timeouts. And I was expecting Grubauer levels of uh, appreciation and applause from the crowd. And maybe it was because the abs crowd was so sizable that kind of tipped the scales in a weird direction. But there wasn't that it didn't reach that level. It was muted, I think is the best way I could put it is or muffled. Is that sort of interesting? Because then if the majority of the crowd was Avs fans, wouldn't they just kind of cheer for him because he's your goalie anyway? <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, you're not like in cheering and tribute. But you're like, hey, Kemper! Woo-hoo. I will admit it was a little awkward to stand up and cheer for me. Because <laughs> yeah. I was like, um, welcome back. I'll see you on Monday. <laughs> <laughs> But to Kemper's credit, uh, there was another fan, there was a Coyotes fan, a little boy, that was uh, in attendance, and it was his birthday, and he wanted a birthday selfie with Kemper. And after the game was over, before he went to the locker room, he skated to where that fan was by the glass, and he took the picture with him. So that was a really neat thing to see. Yeah, that is nice. I like that Kemper said before the game, you know, it wasn't that big of a deal. He didn't know that many guys on, on the team anymore. But then after the fact, he did mention it was a little bit more emotional, which I kind of like that, you know, just admitting it makes it feel more real than having a reporter have to ask the question and blah, blah, blah. So, you know, I, I guess it was cool that he felt that. And then, of course, it was his first shutout the whole year. So that that's just meaningful anyway. So it was cool that it happened in his homecoming like that. So that was like a really nice moment and evening for him. And he did. Yeah, I mean, I, I, he did acknowledge the crowd, I, I, but he didn't do it like the way that like Grubauer, exactly. Yeah, it was, you know, skate back to the crease. He waved and that was pretty much it. And I'm sorry, Earl, you were about to say something. No, it was um, I just I, I think that he probably didn't want to admit before the game that, you know, this was kind of a big deal, you know, just in case it turned out crappy or something like that. You know? <laughs> I think afterwards it was, it was easy to be a little bit more comfortable describing his emotions just because of the outcome maybe but it's also not like that was the only place he ever played too right so yeah i could believe it that maybe it wasn't that big of a deal but you get back there and you start seeing familiar things and this and that right and i was happy to see him he needed a game to really elevate his game like he, he hadn't been bad but it's just he needed a win and every goalie will appreciate a shutout so you know, I think it's a little bit more of a competition between Frank. Maybe a lot of other people don't really think so or that it wasn't getting that close, but he just needed sort of a statement. And even though it was Arizona, it still is nice for him to have that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, he's been really good since the beginning of December and rolled off a bunch of wins. But then, you know, you had the Toronto situation, which, you know, it wasn't exactly his fault, but he did get pulled and then Frank won it. 
And then we had the fiasco in Nashville where he ended up on the short end. So, and yeah, I, I didn't fault him for any of that, but it just right. Yeah, I mean, know, it's just it's you know he was doing really well, and then two games in a row, you you kind of don't get the result you want. So you know there was that pressure. Peter Baugh from the Athletic went through every goal that Kemper's given up in this calendar year. <laughs> With um with one of their other writers, it's actually like a goalie person because we know you need an actual goalie person for goalie analysis. <laughs> so he he did mention one of those in Nashville is like probably one of his worst, but it was the conclusion was basically how we feel. Like in general, he's been pretty good, or the goals against have been pretty defensible. But you know, there's there's a few here or there that probably would like to improve on. Yeah, I mean, I, I think if you're looking at at Kemper's season, you know, obviously he didn't start out well, and that's disappointing just because he, the team lays out a bunch of assets to acquire him, and you have Grubauer leaving after his tenure and whatnot, and he's replacing him, and it, he comes in, and you know, granted, there's a million other problems at the beginning of the year. It's not just him being new, but you know, he really struggled. But sort of since we've seen him from the beginning of December on. I mean, he's really kicked ass. I mean, yeah, he, there's been a couple of hiccups, but they haven't resulted in losses. I mean, his last loss was around Thanksgiving. You know, I, I think he is becoming accustomed to how the abs play in front of him. And it's a difficult thing. I mean, we, we've discussed this on Discord a bunch of times. Just it's it's a very chaotic style, and it's not one that, that many other teams, if any, in the NHL play. So it, it, there's not a lot that can prepare you as a goalie to play behind a team like this. I mean, it's very rewarding because they score a lot, but there's, you know, there's a lot of chaos in the defensive zone. So it's just, it's a difficult thing for a goalie to, to get used to. But just from what I've seen over the, the past month and a half or so, his save percentage has gone way up. It's a, it's a little more consistent. You know, he, he seems to have his own bugaboos. Like we, you know, we see with Frank, like maybe he's not so good on some of the laugher chances, but, um, you know, Kemper will let in, you know, a, a sort of bad high danger goal once in a while. But you see, you see some of the sort of year long stats posted on Twitter or something like that. And you're like, oh gosh, they're negative 19 and expected goals against and all this stuff. And, you know, a lot of that's JoJo and he's gone. A lot of that was early season Kemper and, and that's not how he's playing now. So I think if you're worried about how Kemper's playing, you really don't need to be. I mean, he's, you know, he's not top five in the league or anything like that, but he's he's more than good enough the way he's playing right now to win just about any night. Well, I'm fine with him for the rest of the year, and especially in tandem with Frank. I mean, if, if both of them stay healthy for the majority, if not all of season, I'm more than comfortable with them going into the playoffs. He's yeah. yet to hit that level of play where I've seen him in Arizona that he he becomes RoboCamp and just is in his element, locked in, everything is picture perfect, he's locked down. He's not there yet. It's still a little bit off from where he needs to be to be at that level, but I think as he's gone on this season to work out the bugs and the transition and going through all these hurdles in the acclimation to coming to the Avs, and the other parts of the, of the team, of course, have to follow sync as well. The Avs fans haven't seen that yet, but when they see it, they're going to see, oh, this is why we traded for him at the price we did. Are we ever going to yeah, see I mean, that? When- because I think one of the difficult things about playing behind the Avs is you're never going to have a game where you're going to see 45 shots. 
you know? I mean, I guess it's possible. I guess with a bunch of injuries and everyone's just sleepy or something like that, you could have a really bad game. But, it, you know, the Avs just generally don't let up more than 30 shots in a game. It's pretty rare. And, and, and I, I think that's kind of what you need to really get that focus. So, I mean, I, I, th- I guess that's just another difficulty um, of, of being a goalie for the Avs. Is, is, it's, it's, it's extremely rare that you're going to see so many shots that you're just going to have to, you know, be your best. Right. It's like it would make people feel so much better to have seen it. And be like, oh boy, the only reason why we won that game is because of Kemper. But <laughs> and and obviously for that to happen, the, the rest of the team wasn't going to do it. So right. I mean, the Avs rarely and, and even we, have one goal game. Right. It, it has been sort of this weird, like they were just so dominant, let's say in like November and they were just scoring a bunch against bad teams and you didn't need a goalie to steal a game. And now we've had the comebacks, but that's been less about the goalie too. Like you're saying, we, we haven't gone the distance against say a good team, like at a two to one score where you're going to need 10 really good saves over the course of the game to win it. And like the the Florida game a couple of weeks ago is probably the closest we've seen to that. And that was a three, two game. And that was, you know, that was a rarity. I mean, they got outshot. It was a one goal game. They won it in regulation against a very good team. But yeah, it's like, you, you kind of want to see that a few times before you're fully invested. And yeah, even then that was them giving up two third period goals. So that's not necessarily, I mean, they did the job and I love that game. For me, that was probably the best game of the year so far. Yeah. But that that still isn't what you're describing of like where the goaltender is is like first star no matter what. I think somebody on our Discord pointed out like how often has Kemper even been the first star or a star, which is a silly way to measure it, but it's also sort of true that lets you know how the game's gone. But, I mean, look at his competition on a nightly basis. I know, I know. And <laughs> and that's what makes it difficult, right? Because we know the way this team has success in their identity is their stars, and we don't necessarily want a bunch of goaltending wins. But no. you're just never going to feel super confident about it until you see it happen. And that may happen all year. But the important thing is that if he continues to get more comfortable and better, I see health competition between Kemper and Frank, but that just means both play well, even better for the Avs. And hopefully he can build on the shutout because I do think getting one of those is important. And then you, you can kind of build on that. Well, I think what we've discussed a few times this week and in, in past weeks, the fact that you do go down and then the goalie shuts the door and allows the team to come back and win, that is important. And it's, it's not a, it's not something that will manifest itself in statistics. So it's, it's hard to point out and say like, boy, once this guy lets up two goals early to the opponent, he's able to shut the door and let the team come back. And it's just, I'm, you know, I don't know how you categorize that, but it, it is something that's happened with both guys over the past couple of weeks. Which is good. I think it is important to have sort of tool in your bag. And these are the things I think that were missing last year, because you're going to need every single one of these tools in the playoffs. I guess we'll just leave it as time will tell on, on Kemper as the season continues to progress. He'll get it at least a handful of those games that were postponed in late December to also make his case. So we'll just see where things go from there. Uh, the one note, uh, newsworthy item of note that I'd like to kind of discuss for uh, a little bit, if we could, is 
the Bo, uh, the Bo Byram situation. When you put it, putting aside how the information was attained, uh, thoughts on Byram taking essentially, you know, a leave of absence to deal with what he's dealing with. I mean, I think if it's what he needs to do to get better, then it's great. And and I think it really is tough for for Avs fans and and, and those of us who've you know been invested in, in Bo Byram as a a player even before the Avs drafted him and just you know are really like the guy. He's a very likable young guy. Um, I think it's just very difficult without knowing what he's going through, and there's no way we can to know how to feel about it. You know, you're scared. You know, is this it? Is he Joey Hishin? Um, is it just something like he needs? You know, a couple of weeks and it'll be fine. Is it something he needs until next training camp, and then we'll see? It's just it's it's very unsettling because you just really can't see how this is going to play out. You know, I, I'm not a big fan of how we got the information, but even you know a, a little bit of it, just to kind of a at least get a direction on on what's going on. You know, it, it was helpful because I know the ABS really can't say anything, so I know people or get- preferred. Not to. <laughs> well, I mean, I just, you know, with medical stuff, it's really dicey what an employer can say about stuff like that. You know, I, I don't think they would encourage Dater and Peter Baugh to, to communicate with his parents like that. But, you know, they can't say anything. So it's, it's left to private sources. I don't think it was a problem getting anything from the parents. And I also feel like I think that was intentional. There's always a messaging of the situation. And I believe the way it was done was not a coincidence and they were not taken advantage of. We'll see how this plays out. I find it interesting that the Avs keep insisting it's personal when it's not. Obviously, that depends on where he's and what exactly he's doing. My thought on this, I it's gone into much more of a mental health place than physical health which is why I think it has played out a lot different than you would say Timmons when he was out concerning how all these stops and start. So plus coupled with a lot of the information that Ball gave in his original article, I could go on it and it's not fair for me to, but you know, let's just, uh, obviously we all wish the best for him. And like Earl said, if whatever he's doing is helping him hit the reset button, find a new strategy is Something that's going to help. Obviously, that's what we all want for him. I guess we'll just see what happens. Right. And not just as in regards to his playing career, but also in terms of his long-term health, too. Definitely. Stars and scratches. Jackie, you want to lead off? (laughs) Hmm. You know, I think Obey Kubel deserves a star. There's obviously a lot of stars on this team that deserve stars. Miko, Makar. Well, Miko's had what Earl talked about, those ghost points. <laughs> but he's seventh in the league in scoring now. And Makar is just crazy. And I'm sure he'll get mentioned. But he was a big part of this week, right? Like, he's he doesn't necessarily impact every single game. But that's why he's like a third liner. And you can show up and you can make a difference like that in a game and bring that sort of physical element net front that they don't have a lot of that's a pretty big deal for a guy that you picked up off waivers for free and i like that he's fit in and i think he's found a home here and maybe for longer than just this year yeah you really you like to see a guy like this have a a big week just because when you play the kind of minutes and role that he does 
it, it's it's going to be really tough to to score enough or to make enough plays that you're really going to stand out sort of over the long term without having you know kind of a big week here or there. So it's nice that he can show that he can score and set up plays and be a point per game player over the week kind of thing. Even that that's definitely not what he's asked to do. Um, it just shows that you know they made the right call and picking him up and they've been doing well with with bringing him up to speed with the the app system and fitting in with the team. That's for my star. I'm going to go with Miko because the the ghost points thing and saying he's playing terrible <laughs> really irks me. <laughs> it happens every day. Every he had eight oh my God, friggin' sucks. points in five games this week. <laughs> and people are like, oh, when's Randon going to show up? I'm like, what more can he do? <laughs> you know, this is Girl, what he does. It's the breakaway prophecy. And then he finally got that breakaway goal. And everyone's like, oh, my God, Miko's amazing. Yeah, <laughs> <You're> like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm serious. That's what it takes. Just imagine it's if like, he had passed it there. He would have just gone back into obscurity. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I mean, you know, he he's he's I, I don't want to say he's underappreciated because he really is a fan favorite. Even if people don't really take notice of how often he scores and, and that he is seventh in the league in scoring, but he's a very anti-hype though. Like, yeah, if you if you tell if you ask the majority of people, like, what do you think about Miko? Like, oh, he's great. You know? He falls down a lot, <laughs> <laughs> but most people would be positive about him, right? Right. But but he doesn't really get like hype, and I guess I get it. Like you. McKinnon gets the hype. Now it's McCarr. You know, it's Kadri's big year. So just like, oh yeah, that fourth other dude that <laughs> that is going to score 20 goals first on this team. Right. <laughs> yeah, and it's, you know, it's tough for anyone to stand out on a team like this because, you know, whoever you are, you've got to deal with everybody else that's amazing. So if you're you're not the hype guy, you know, and and, and Gabe is like this too. Like people will be like, "Yeah, when's Gabe gonna show up?" And he's like, "Look at how, look at his point totals this year." You know, and I know that's not everything, but it's like a good indication of how you're affecting the game. And I, I, I wish it was easier to understand how much effect Miko has. Fans of other teams look at Miko and they're just like, you know, they'd be dying to have him on their team. And it's just he's, you know, second or third banana here. You, you watch opposing feeds or national feeds or whatever, and they're like. Oh, yeah, Miko Ranton, and he's a really good player, too. And go on talking about the rest of the game. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> it's like, I have no idea that he's a top 10 player. You know, I mean, he's sort of, you know, the, the dry idol of the team, I guess. You know, he, he's not McDavid, but, you know, he's up there in points and, and just maybe isn't appreciated for how much he does. But that's okay. We love you, Miko. I love you. Keep doing your thing. Wife star for the week is Skadri. Nice. It's, I wanted yeah, to say him, but I figured too. someone would. <laughs> <clears throat> it's criminal that we haven't said Makar, though. I mean, my God. Yeah. <laughs> he had eight points as well. Does. I mean, you know. Yeah. And it was fun that his highlight from the second Arizona game was that hit on Antoine Roussel. And seeing that hit live, it, 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 I don't know how it sounded on the broadcast, but it was loud. In that building. It was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, they, and then he starts chirping him too. Like, I, I don't know if they showed it on TV in Nashville, but, and I don't remember what Predator it was, but he was really chirping him, like, right on the boards, kind of like the same spot after, like, a hit. <laughs> I was like, oh boy, Kale's fired up. <laughs> and we've seen it before. It's not like this is new. 
but that was one that he really like i don't know i don't know what the word is like planned or whatever like he was into that one <laughs> but i'm sorry i didn't mean to hijack the cadre talk it's just you know i don't even necessarily think this was like a big week for him it was just par for the course for his his season this year and and you want to see somebody go to the all-star game that is an honor for them that this is probably his one chance to to do something like that and it sounds like somebody that wants to go and be there and be part of the festivities like it it gets old seeing the same guys because they don't really give a crap anymore either right so um he's he's deserving of our star and he's the nhl star i mean he won two games this week with game winning goals and it's that you know good week (laughs) and i'm gonna well done Oz. yeah and i'm gonna sneak this in there real quick um (laughs) the coyotes did a nice little uh nod of recognition for Clayton Keller being uh, sent to the All-Star game as well. So that was cool to see the crowd give him some love too. Yeah, definitely. I I watched the Coyotes feed for the first game and they were just so like someone on our Discord described them as like depressed. I mean, they just were like they just wanted to get out of there. But when Keller scored that shorthanded goal, they were just so much like, "Oh, it's our All-Star." Like it perked them up. So <laughs> But yeah, good for Keller. Like he is a good young player, and and like I said, you want to see those guys recognized. Where I assume he will actually go to the game and everything, and that that's like a nice moment for him. Yeah. All right, let's switch some gears, and I know we're running up against the, the against time here. So scratches. Uh, what do we have, Jackie? I'll say my scratch is Landy, and not because I'm scratching him, because COVID scratched him. Uh, we didn't even mention that it was announced he tested positive for COVID and missed the Seattle game, but he was out of his quarantine, able to fly to Arizona and be part of the team. So it it's a little bit more reassuring that you can have one guy test positive and the whole team doesn't, doesn't shut everything down, and that he can get through his time and rejoin everything. It's a lot less disruptive. And what we heard was he didn't have any symptoms, so that's also positive, and, and that he join the team and the abs should be pretty much through a lot of folks by this point so it's it's nice to see the 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 peak of the crisis has passed definitely um my scratch i'm gonna say loc just because it seems like ever since he's grown out his beard he's really kind of fallen off (laughs) in play well he's been kind of demoted and and sort of obey cabell is kind of the bright boy now but you know, he's just, he doesn't seem to have the impact he was having a, a month ago. I, I'm not sure why. So there's not really any good basis for criticism there, but um, he just seems I to mean, be trailing off you, a little bit. I can tell you why. I literally said multiple times, I want to see what he looks like in a back-to-back in mid Like I was talking about this week and it literally happened. It's just because no human can go balls to the wall 110% all the time you physically can't have that will about you it's not possible Shave the beard <laughs> well i won't even talk about facial hair but like is that and that's the basis of his game you know you know he's doing so well when he's being so tenacious and aggressive and it's really noticeable when he's not there first on the forecheck or he's not as disruptive as you'd like him to be and I, th- I think he did some good work on the, pe- the successful penalty kills they've had, but this is something that they're going to have to manage and reconcile is like, he's proved his worth. He's proved them signing him and all that. Like I 
Crow on the fact that he had a lot better finishing ability than I gave him credit for. It's what I wanted to see and he did it. So he proved me wrong in that aspect. But I still think my original question lingers what to do with a guy when he is not at the peak of what you expect and love about him. And I think they're just going to have to figure that out. Yeah. Or you call him Tyson Jost. <laughs> what? Yeah. Is, is that your, your scratch? <laughs> Actually, no. Uh, I briefly considered it, but I'm going to go with this one because it was just, it continues to be a raging point of consternation for at least our community online. And it's Dean Morton and the too many men on the ice penalty called in the national <laughs> game and the yeah. firestorm of criticism that came after. That's fair. Yeah, it, it was disappointing. It just, it's too bad the players on the ice kind of just decided that game. And, and Jost, I guess for him, it was probably one of the better weeks of his season, but he, he is also a guy that needs to really figure out an identity because it, it felt like he kind of had one last year and it, it's sort of degraded this year. I kid because I care, but when Curtis McDermott <laughs> helps elevate you. <laughs> oh no about that. But yeah, but I know McDermott got the assist, even though it was like, it wasn't a pass. It was a <laughs> maybe elevate is a term I'm going to use very, very generously. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, but I like Jost. I want I want him to, you know, he is a likable guy. Just I think there's a fair argument that maybe is Obake Bell even more valuable, which I know we're saying that after a week and four points, but it's something to ponder. Uh, so coming up this week, Avs have four games. Uh, the first is uh, at Monday afternoon matinee against the Minnesota Wild. 1 p.m. puck drop at Ball Arena. We have a back-to-back coming up beginning on Wednesday when the Avs visit Honda Center to take on the Ducks. That is an 8 p.m. Denver start. The very next night, the Avs will be at Crypto.com Arena. (laughs) (laughs) It's called the Staples Center. Formerly known as Staples Center where they will play the Kings. 7.30 p.m. So, unique start time. Both of those are on D, by the way. One's on TNT. I believe the Ducks game at 8 is on TNT. And then the Kings game is on ESPN. Like, actual ESPN, not streaming ESPN. So, that does sort of set this up as an interesting week. I guess you didn't even get to the, the fourth one. I'll let you set that one up. Yeah, not yet. So, uh, the Avs wrap up the week uh, with a home game on Saturday evening. Uh, against the Montreal Canadiens, that is a 5 p.m. Denver start, so it naturally would mean that is the leadoff for Hockey Night in Canada. Yeah, it's sort of a different week. It's like three different vibes, I guess you could say. Like The the Minnesota game is also their last day game of the year, which that blows my mind why they can't have more day games, but sure. Um, So that's funny to me. Well, they, I mean, they do well on the weekend, like Sundays, families like that. So that's just a huge one to kick off the week, first of all, because whether I was fans like it or not, Minnesota's a pretty good team this year and beating them is important. So then, then we have a, finally a proper back-to-back in California. Like I said, both are on actual TV. So these are sort of bigger games as well. Like Anaheim is having a good year. We, we kind of have to accept that. And have been playing well lately. I think they're like seven and three or something like that. So those two are also not necessarily the easiest games. And then the Habs game back at home. It's an early start again. The Habs have been terrible and they have barely played. So that 
that's going to be another take care of business kind of moment, but it's always interesting when those teams from the East and, oh boy, I get to watch the French feed. That's going to be so exciting. So <laughs> a very interesting and varied week coming up. And then I peaked it next week. It goes Chicago, Boston, Chicago. I mean, that's just going to be like <laughs> mind numbing, but we'll appreciate the variety of this week. Absolutely. So we'll go ahead and uh, wrap this up. Uh, I want to give everybody a uh, pat on the back for our most in-depth on-site coverage we've had in a long time. So, yeah, I wish we could have that every week. I mean, that would be <laughs> awesome, right? Yeah. So honorable mentions for stars for all of us. That's great. Yeah, gotta get Earl Kane's game. <laughs> One of these days. Yeah. So until you hear our voices next time, we appreciate you being a part of our uh, you know listening audience, and we will see you next time. Bye.